Today on Government Matters, artificial intelligence can help employers with hiring and retention, but it can also mask or perpetuate biases. We speak with Charlotte Burroughs, chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission, about how her office works to ensure AI doesn't become a high-tech path to job discrimination. Chair Burroughs shares the latest of her other priorities too, like ending harassment and retaliation in the workplace and increasing diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Government Matters starts right now. From Washington, D.C. and around the world, this is Government Matters with Mimi Gerges. This is Government Matters, the only show covering the latest news trends and topics that matter to the business of government. I'm Mimi Gerges. Developments in artificial intelligence can support the hiring process for all employers, including the country's largest, the federal government. But those technologies could perpetuate bias in who gets hired for which jobs. The Equal Employment Opportunity Commission has a new initiative to ensure those tools comply with civil rights laws. Charlotte Burroughs is chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Chairwoman Burroughs, welcome to the program. Thank you so much. It is a pleasure to be here. I really appreciate your interest in our work. So explain how artificial intelligence is used in the hiring process and then give me an example of how it can be used to introduce or perpetuate bias. Absolutely. Well, the uh, hiring process really it, with respect to artificial intelligence is something where we've seen these tools used in a host of ways. Most uh, significantly, frankly, in hiring, uh, screening those first applicants and how th we determine or employers determine who's going to be selected. So that's one area, but there's also targeted job ads and other uh, examples in different parts of the process where they are actually being used. So let me first say what I mean by artificial intelligence, just to kind of level set for everyone. We're really looking at tools that are those broad um, sort of smart technologies that try to predict who will be a good candidate on the job. And looking at those, we are, of course, the uh, organization, the federal agency that has for so long protected employees against discrimination on the job. So as these new emerging technologies come online and begin to be used, it's important that we also assist in making sure that they don't somehow become a high-tech pathway to discrimination. So this isn't the first time the EEOC has been looking at the issue of AI and big data. What's prompted another look at it now? What's new this time? Well, you're exactly right. Back in 2016, we looked at this and held a broad public hearing to take some information about how these tools are being used. What has changed is that right now, we've got 83% of all employers in the U.S. using some form of artificial intelligence in their hiring processes. And so, and within actually the Fortune 500, that's about 90% according to one report. So we really can see that even in those few years, it's exploded in terms of the ubiquity, if you will, the, the just everyone is, is looking at this. But, but do we know that it's introducing bias or do we just fear that it could introduce bias? That's an excellent question. Unfortunately, we have seen very clear examples of this and there's one that's been very widely reported I won't name check anyone but you can all check it out on the internet where there was a an attempt by a tech company it's to uh, create one of these AI technologies to actually select its own workforce and what they were doing was just a 
take their last resumes of their best folks over the last decade, let's say, and they trained the uh, tool using those folks. Well, it turned out that most of them were white men. And they found that no matter what they did, there continued to be bias introduced where women were downgraded. And very specifically, if you had the word women's in your resume, so say you wrote, I was the captain of the women's basketball team, right? Or um, there were actually a couple of names of women's colleges, you were automatically downgraded because the existing population didn't have those things on their resumes. And so what it was really selecting for was a mirror of the demographics that they had. Now obviously that doesn't have to happen, but it can. And there have been other examples as well. So what has the EEOC done to educate employers on these issues? So that's the purpose of the initiative really, to make sure that folks know we can support them and help them if they want to use these techniques well, but also that the civil rights laws that we have had on the books for decades, like the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the Americans with Disabilities Act, and the Equal Pay Act still apply, and how they apply and how to comply. Because I think there are a lot of employers and vendors who really want to do the right thing in this area and they need some support. And so we are really pushing with this initiative to get them that support and also make sure the public is aware of the importance of these things as well. Well, I, I do want to ask you because your site says that you provide technical assistance for algorithmic fairness. How technical are we talking about the assistance? Because I know you're not back there writing code. We are not back there writing code. And really what we're, our technical assistance is how do, what should you look for as you design these products in terms of um, being fair to the employee population that you're looking at? So for example, there have been numerous um, concerns about, for in instance, uh, needing accommodations for persons with disabilities as they take what are referred to as gamified assessments. So if you can imagine an employment test that presents a little bit, so online, presents a little bit almost like a video game. There's various versions of those. Well, sometimes if you have a disability, you're going to use that technology slightly differently. Um, or you may just need additional time or some other kind of reasonable accommodation as you take it. And so what our technical assistance is not about how to write the code, but how to make sure that as you use the product, that you're looking for those things that will make sure you do not um, discriminate. And of course, going back to my earlier example, making people really sensitive to the fact that you've got to look at what assumptions are being uh, embedded in that code before you start applying it. Well, speaking of assumptions, because there's a role for vendors here as well. So what guidance do you provide them? So we're just at the beginning of working to, you know, through listening sessions and discussions with experts to figure out exactly what they most need. So we haven't put that guidance out yet. I'm hoping, and this is one of the things that we, that came out of those, the 2016 hearing, is that we really need to be out there with some best practices to assist in this. And that is exactly what I think where our sweet spot is, where we can be helpful as the federal government. All right, well, Charlotte, we're gonna take a pause right here and then we'll come back and continue our conversation. Okay, thanks so much. Coming next, we continue our conversation with Chair Burroughs about her priorities for the EEOC. We'll be right back.
Welcome back. I'm here with Charlotte Burroughs. She is chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Charlotte, we were talking about um, your AI initiative and you talked about what you want employers to know, what you want vendors to know. What do you want the general public to know about this initiative? Absolutely. Well, I think it's really important for people to understand first and foremost that there are a lot of these products going, you know, behind the curtain, if you will, when you apply for a job. And to if you are someone who thinks that you have a disability, you see one of these gamified assessments or something of the like, you should and can ask for a disability, and it's a requirement, or disability accommodation, rather. And it's a requirement, if it's a reasonable accommodation, that you be provided that extra time or whatever it is. But the reality is, a lot of, there's, a lot of times there's no way for individuals to know about that. And so they should, if they think that they've gotten a so sort of an online application that asks, for instance, about insists that they, you give your birth date, let's say, uh, and you can't get past to the next screen without putting that in, or your date of um, graduation from college, which is, can be a proxy for age, and they're concerned about that, that that may lead to them being screened out, they can obviously call us, and the EEOC is the place, if you think that there may be discrimination, to reach out, we're online, we're on the phone, send us however you want to get to us. But we want to hear about these things because only as we see them in the aggregate, then we're able to really figure out where the problems are. And we, the same goes if you receive an ad um, that may seem to you strange. So for instance, there was a widely reported example of ads going out that um, really sort of seem to focus on, you know, it, I, I'm not quoting here, but something like, hey, you're getting this ad because you're a young professional in XYZ area, right? Obviously, that has implications for the Age Discrimination and Employment Act, which we also enforce. And it's important for uh, it, folks who might get that to feel free to reach out to us as well. Well, so um, following up on reaching out to you, I'd like to get an idea of what the process is. What if somebody just in general feels that they've been discriminated against in the workplace or you know, how do, how do we go through that entire process with the EEOC? Sure, that's an excellent question. So first of all, with respect to our laws, we enforce those laws that prohibit discrimination in employment or in applications based on race, national origin, sex, religion, uh, color, uh, which is becoming more and more of an issue actually, uh, age, disability, and genetic information. So, and within sex, I should be clear, that includes pregnancy discrimination, it includes discrimination based on sexual orientation, and also gender identity. So, with respect to reaching us, we are actually uh, responsible for taking charges of discrimination. So people, which is really just a complaint, um, and you can do, you reach out to us first and foremost online, which during this COVID period is mostly how we're hearing from folks and uh, start the process to file a charge, which means that we will investigate, and often we can get relief right there in the investigation process, but we go all the way to a finding, which means if we decide that there's reason to believe discrimination occurred, we'll reach the employer, if we haven't settled it already, and say, look, you gotta resolve this. If that doesn't work, we can take a case all the way to litigation, and we have in instances where we've taken cases right up to the Supreme Court. Uh, the Justice Department represents us there, but 
we will stick with it, even if it's an individual case sometimes. If it's important, we can, we can do that and get that relief. Now, that's on the private industry side. What about for federal employees? For federal employees, there's an in, a parallel process that actually gives um, an internal complaint process. You could go to your EEO office. Every federal uh, agency has to have one and uh, consult with them and then file what's called a complaint in that process. And then that goes through an investigation as well. And it can be appealed up to the full commission. There's five of us uh, appointed by the president and confirmed by the Senate. And so we you know, ultimately can make that decision as well. But if you don't like it, there's also a process by which uh, you can file a suit in federal district court. But most of the time, I think that uh, we're able to resolve it internally. So I want to ask you about retaliation, because yes. that's a big issue. You know, somebody says, look, I've got a grievance or, or I've been treated unfairly, I've been discriminated against, and all of a sudden their employer starts treating them differently. Right, and that is ultimately a huge issue for us, not only because that's 60% almost, 56% to be exact, of all the private sector uh, complaints we get have some form of retaliation. So it's a huge part of our inventory. And it's also a really big problem in the federal it, workforce as well. So we take it incredibly seriously. And all of our laws, you also can file a, a um, charge regarding the retaliation, even if the underlying, uh, we don't find that there was an underlying problem of, say, sex discrimination. We might find that the retaliation, that was real, and that is just as serious a problem. We, we will take those cases to court as well. Um, if, if we need to, and in the federal government, uh, you can appeal those and get relief. So what we have done actually recently, because it's such a big deal, is to join with the Department of Labor, specifically the Wage and Hour Division and uh, the National Labor Relations uh, Board, to because they've got huge dockets on this. This is, a, this is a really big problem. To have an initiative to educate employers, we rolled that out in November and sat down with a large group of employers virtually, of course, given the conditions, um, just to talk about the issues that we're seeing and to make sure that they understand that this is going to be a top priority for all three agencies. But you're absolutely right. This is something that we have to continue to focus on. Okay, well, another quick break right here, and then we'll come back and finish our conversation. Coming next, we wrap up our conversation with the chair of the EEOC, Charlotte Burroughs. We'll be right back. Welcome back. I'm here with Charlotte Burroughs. She is chair of the Equal Employment Opportunity Commission. Um, Charlotte, I want to ask you about, you know, the pandemic. Obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic. And I would imagine that office dynamics have completely changed. A lot of people are working from home. And you really don't have the harassment that you might have had before when everybody's in the office together. Oh, I wish that were true. Um, harassment is, you know, a huge part of our... Uh, docket as well and unfortunately online harassment is a very serious problem and so we have seen that the harassment charges have not dropped off at all uh, during this period it's gone online so there's two things that are going on just to give you context first remember we've got about 23 percent of the American workforce that has gone to mostly remote work or entirely remote work but the rest of every of the American workforce is there and sometimes in those instances there may be fewer supervisors 
or less close supervision than there was before. So on the one hand, you have online harassment, which is increasingly a problem. And it's interesting because there are things um, as varied as supervisors who might be calling the attractive younger worker more often unnecessarily to get that video uh, conference. And, and they're also learning a lot about you know what's going on in that person's home, right? A lot of very personal information that you normally wouldn't get. We've uh, heard instances of uh, individuals who have perhaps a very offensive, you know, something in the background in their home workplace that a, an employee who's calling them is, is uncomfortable with. Like, you or know. you're taking Zoom in your bedroom because that happens to be where you're working or, yeah. Exactly. So uh, you would think that that wouldn't be an issue online, but it actually is uh, a quite significant problem. And so we, we're seeing it in both uh, areas, uh, unfortunately, and are very vigilant about that. There's a White House executive order on diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. Yes. It's a big push by the administration. What's your office doing to advance those goals? Absolutely. So thank you for the question. We are very excited about this because if you think about it, the opposite of a you know, employment situation where we have to get involved is an employer where you have really valued um, diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility. So with respect to the, there were two really exciting executive orders issued very early on in this administration, uh, day one on the first one, that really try to make sure that we have an all of government approach to this problem. And with respect to the federal government's own workforce, we are thrilled to be assisting in that. We give technical assistance to the entire executive branch, actually, on these issues. We have a whole sort of division within the EEOC that really only focuses on the federal sector. And we are uh, assisting in that way as well. But the idea is to really make sure that America fields the best team, that we have the best talent here. And you can do that by making sure that everyone has the opportunity to apply, to advance. So we're really looking uh, in detail at those issues. You mentioned that the EEOC has five commissioners appointed by the president, uh, confirmed by the Senate. Um, how do you all work together in, in the sense of how do you coordinate with other federal agencies to get the work done that you need to do? So it really depends on the issues. Um, but yes, there are five of us. It's exciting to have a full commission. And uh, we, depending on what we're doing on the policy issues, we come together. Sometimes we come together in a public way, like the hearing I was talking about earlier, um, or internally. Uh, and we have to do that carefully because under the Sunshine Act, we can't all gather in a room without... Uh, announcing it to the public, but uh, and work cooperatively with the um, other agencies, but really sort of think about the policy internally. And most of that, uh, our office sort of runs point with the rest of the administration so that we stay coordinated. And so for some of these things, we are really t uh, looking at all of the um, other federal leaders that are, have a have equities in this and working cooperatively. You've been there since 2014. What trends have you seen in employment discrimination since you've been there? Oh, absolutely. So I actually started January 2015. I was confirmed in 2014. And so I've had the pleasure of looking at this with a, you know, from a bird's eye view and also from a broad, um, broad spectrum. And really the trends have been, and I think this is really exciting right now, that We've seen in our work uh, that the EEOC is sort of in the front of the curve of when there's a, a big problem coming in these areas. So for instance, we knew that the Me Too issues were a five alarm fire. 
Uh, and in fact, I think my first uh, week of work, we created a bipart voted to create a bipartisan commission to or, or task force rather to look only at um, the question of how to get in front of harassment. And that process took 18 months. Well, during the course of it, you know, Me Too got on everybody else's top radar screen, but we were already working on that in 2015, 2016, came out with a report. So by the time 2017, uh, you know, there were some reports about Harvey Weinstein that people may remember. Um, we were really ahead of the curve, and so that's been great. Right now, what I think is extremely exciting, going back to the point about diversity, is that you know, after the really terrible news about the murder of George Floyd, the nation has really wrestled with those issues of broader inequality and fairness to persons of color. And a lot of corporations came out with, you know, sort of mission statements and value statements about how they were going to deal with diversity, equity, inclusion, and accessibility, and are following up on those. And so the, to the extent that we already had diversity on the front burner, and the administration did. What's exciting now, and a really important trend, is that corporations do too. Other organizations do too. So interestingly enough, we really have that synergy now, and um, I think it's going to be exciting. You're going to be hearing a lot more about us. No big announcements right now, but a lot more from us about this issue in the coming weeks and months. Well, there's a lot more to talk about, but we're out of time. Chairwoman Burroughs, thank you so much for being on the program and coming in. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. If you miss an episode of Government Matters, it's on our website, govmatters.tv. And listen to our Government Matters podcast, available on SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can also find every episode on our website. That's the latest from Washington. Join me weeknights at 8 and 10.30 on WJLA 24-7 News and Sunday mornings at 10.30 on 7 News to stay plugged in on issues that matter to the business of government. Thanks for watching. I'm Mimi Gerges.